Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Isn't it funny how now as dentists, when we look at celebrities and their crowns and their veneers, you can never quite look at them the same way because you know the little stumps that are hiding underneath from probably pretty destructive crown preps that were done back in the day. But the price of beauty doesn't have to be that high and there are ways to do awesome aesthetic dentistry in a minimally invasive way. And one of those techniques that we talk about on the podcast today is through using pre-restorative alignment. Is alignment prior to completing restorative work something on your radar, Dave? Yeah, it certainly is. You make a great point with cutting down teeth to make um, uh, crowns and things and it looks great except for we know what's underneath. I call it toilet bowl porcelain and I think about those cases all the time. I've learned a lot um, from Barat and others actually about you know aligning the teeth and then restoring the teeth and how much of an impact it can have. In some of the cases I've um, done, it's, it's really there's no other way. So this episode, I'm excited to hear what Barat has to say. For sure. I feel like since learning about this, my eyes have just been open and I see ortho everywhere now and I'm less motivated to cut teeth. And that's exactly the message that Dr. Bharat Agrawal is trying to get across in the podcast today as we discuss the benefits of using pre-restorative alignment or orthodontics to conserve tooth structure, achieve more stable outcomes um, and some of the ways that we can also help communicate this to our patients. All right. So for those of you that don't know, I practice on the Gold Coast and for anyone who I guess is not in Australia, the Gold Coast is often, I guess, identified with things that are a little bit ostentatious, maybe a little bit fake. Um, Everything's a bit bigger, a bit more artificial on the Gold Coast. And for me, that partly and probably wrongly so sparked my interest in what I thought was cosmetic dentistry. And I really wanted to do cosmetic dentistry and that was what I thought I was aspiring to become was a cosmetic dentist. And I guess nothing's further from the truth. I hate that term cosmetic dentist. Now, cosmetic dentistry, I think that practice is completely non-aspirational, not what we should be talking to our patients about. And when I started my journey doing the master's in aesthetic dentistry through King's, it was completely misguided. For me, it was all about delivering what I thought was a need in our community that people wanted veneers and they wanted, um, you know, augmented teeth. And I thought if I did this master's, that's what that would help me feel more confident about doing or learning more about. And nothing's further than the truth. I think there's been a massive shift in my understanding. And I think in dentistry in general, we're starting to go away from some of these very invasive treatments purely for aesthetics, you know, in the nineties and early two thousands, so many people got veneers just for the sake of it. You know, look at all these movie stars that have um, six veneers, you know, stapled across the front of their face and they all look ridiculous. Like it, it, it was probably not even appropriate for them in the first place. And the truth is a lot of these conventional methods to achieve something that's purely aesthetic, you know, some sort of improvement in tooth form or colour or shape came at a really significant biological cost. And I don't know if you remember me saying this previously, um, Bridget, when, when I've spoken to you before, yeah. um, but I've got a favourite study and it's <laughs> it's the Edelhoff and Sorensen study where they looked at the gravimetric change in tooth volume or, or weight rather um, when teeth were prepared prepared for different types of restorations and they found that doing like a traditional crown prep would remove anywhere between 62 to 72 percent of the tooth structure now that's 
significant. Like we all know that if we take 62 to 72% of the tooth away, that tooth is way, way down that restorative cycle. It's more likely to end up with um, like endodontic issues, more likely to have pulpitis in the future. And of course, you know, when that fails, we have no contingency. Once you've crowned that tooth and destroyed all that tooth there, maybe you have another crack at it, but that's probably the last time you'll ever get to replace that restoration. And if you do that for elective treatment or something that the patient didn't necessarily do just for a health improvement, I think you've done them a massive disservice. And I think we need to start looking at some of the other modalities of treatment that we have. If we look at some of our conservative veneer preparations, sometimes we can get away with with between 16 to 30% of the tooth being prepared, which is significantly less? Or is there something even better that we can do? Can we get away with potentially not doing any restorative treatment alone? And I really love this concept of bioaesthetics that Didier Dietschy talks about. He talks about improving aesthetic outcomes using techniques or modalities that don't result in destruction of the tooth or they come at a a lower biological cost. And we're talking about things like alignment, whitening, microabrasion, resin infiltration, um, additive composite bonding. And this is what I'm really passionate about, this notion of ethical aesthetics. And I spoke about how I don't like that term cosmetic dentistry or cosmetics. Mm -hmm. If we look at the origin of cosmetics, the, the origin of the word talks about like jewellery or adornments, things that are like artificially placed on something. And I don't think that's ever the goal of dentistry. Yeah. And when we do good aesthetic dentistry, it's about things that integrate well with that patient. I mean, the best compliment for me is when a patient comes back and says, um, no one realised. And I've got one patient who I did some veneers on a few years ago. Yeah. And every six months I ask him, you know, has anyone noticed and his daughters haven't said anything for four and a half years. And it's just kind of like a running joke now where like he's, uh, maybe his daughters are completely non-observant, but <laughs> you know, that's the best compliment when something just blends in. And I think that's where aesthetic dentistry is far more aspirational for us as dentists. Aesthetics is something that's age appropriate. It's not, it's not dictated by fashion or trends or fads. It's not something that's nice now and not nice in five years. Mm-hmm. And I think when we look at some of these biological approaches, we're more likely to deliver this type of dentistry. And I think that should be the underlying philosophy um, behind everything that we do. And I see a lot of, I guess I see a lot of adult patients, predominantly my patient base is aged between 25 and say 45, 50. That's sort of the bracket of people that I see. I have a few patients that are older. I have quite a few kids that I see as well, but that's predominantly what I see. And often these patients come in asking for some form of aesthetic or cosmetic improvement. And for them, the only treatment that they know is crowns, veneers, bridges. They come in going, hey, can I get some ceramic restorations or can you just crown all my teeth and make them look good? And it's not because they want crowns necessarily. It's just the fact that they don't know that there's something better out there. So I think it's our responsibility to better educate our patients. Yeah. And the truth is a lot of these adult patients, a lot of their aesthetic shortcomings are a result of the fact that they've got some maybe underlying malocclusion that's causing that as well. You know, how often do you see a patient, an adult patient with crowded teeth that now has worn incisal edges or incisal embrasures that are incorrect because of the rotations of the teeth? They may have some associated periodontal problems like excessive recession or black triangles. Mm-hmm. And for us, I think we need to start looking at potentially better ways of managing these patients. 
know, can we put those teeth in a better position to facilitate less dentistry afterwards? And one of the things I always say to all of my patients seeking aesthetic dentistry and this, I don't know, this is just so powerful for me because I truly genuinely believe this and this is what drives all of my dentistry every day. And I say this to every single patient who comes in for this kind of treatment. I say, I'm going to do the least amount of dentistry to be able to achieve your aesthetic desires. And that's literally what drives every intervention. Yeah. And for me, that does two things. It tells the patient straight away that I'm going to listen to them and find out what it is that their desire really is. What is it that we're trying to improve? And at the same time, I'm going to do it in a way that's going to be good for them or biologically less invasive than some of the other methods. You know, tooth preservation and their health is um, you know, front of mind whenever we're doing those interventions. Mm-hmm. And often these patients need some form of interdisciplinary planning and that's where I think we need to be able to diagnose better, to pre-visualise what it is that that patient needs and have the appropriate tools or the appropriate team of clinicians to be able to deliver that treatment. Yeah. So a lot of these adult patients, instead of having their teeth cut down for aggressive restorations that result in a lot of tooth loss, mm-hmm. if we can put their teeth in a better position, we can then just augment it with simple things like whitening, additive bonding, maybe some recontouring. So. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think we need to really value the merits of this interdisciplinary approach. And often that results in some, will require some form of pre-restorative alignment to do that. Mm-hmm. Something I'm really, really passionate about. Dental Protection Limited, they're more than just an indemnity insurer. Of course, they'll provide the best support they can when you have a tough time and you need them. But that goes without saying. More importantly, they're trying to help us prevent these things and they're doing this through their online education, their numerous blogs and articles, their live education and now a podcast called Risk Bites that is bite-sized pieces of information to help you prevent medico-legal risks. And during this COVID-19 pandemic, they are providing unparalleled support to their members. So if you're a member, you know all this, but even if you're not, you can get a lot of this information online. Check DPL out and thank you DPL for supporting dental students and graduates and for supporting the Dental Head Start podcast. I think a lot of it is these patients don't come in often thinking that they're going to be recommended some form of tooth movement. Like that doesn't even cross their mind as like a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old to go, I want to, I'm going to be told to move my teeth. And I think it's our responsibility to help them understand the merits of having their teeth in a better position. So if we can, I guess, help them understand why as a dentist, if I was in that same position, I would want that kind of treatment, then we've sort of half succeeded. Um, and often the, the phrase that I use with these patients is like, how much are you willing to pay me to not cut your tooth? Like, will you pay me more if I don't cut your tooth? And, and my answer is if, if I was, if I was in your position, I would pay me more to not cut my tooth. <laughs> um, and these treatments often cost less anyways, financially, it's just more sort of making the point of, you know, it's you know, like your tooth is the most valuable thing that you have. Yeah. So for us, we need to be able to help them visualize that. And that's why I really like clear aligners and that digital planning, because, you know, we can show them very quickly that that rotated or, you know, ectopic tooth there, if we want to make that look like it's in alignment, either we'd have to you know, reduce a lot of tooth structure, like you know, cut the heck out of that buckle surface there to have enough room to bring everything into alignment, 
or we're going to end up, you know, if the, that tooth is palate averted, we're going to end up with a massive ledge or an overhang in our restoration there, which is really not good for their, you know, their, their periodontal tissues. Mm-hmm. So we need to be able to effectively communicate that. And that's why I really love this digital planning, that sort of meticulous planning of where these teeth need to be, what kind of spaces do I need for my restorations um, afterwards as well. And I guess knowing why that's important can really help your patients get on board as well. And, you know, I'm not saying that these patients aren't going to end up needing veneers or bonding or something else afterwards anyways. Mm-hmm. It's more about getting a better result with that. You know, if I have a tooth that's poorly positioned and I'm going to put veneers on them, I'm going to have poor-looking veneers. They're going to look terrible. If I have teeth that are better positioned and I'm going to put veneers on them, those veneers are going to look far better no matter what. So I think good tooth position begets good good results for sure. And even from a longevity perspective, you know, often a lot of my veneer cases have some sort of pre-restorative alignment to help with tooth preservation. We know that if we have more enamel, our veneers are more likely to survive long-term compared to a veneer which is indenting. Um, so these are, uh, I think, some of the basic concepts that we need to believe in so our patients understand why we're recommending that as well. And I guess if there was an existing malocclusion that might have been causing the wearing of the tooth initially, you want to try and correct that so it doesn't cause the same problem to happen again and your veneer's chipping and it's your fault and it's not their fault. 100%. And I think, I think that's, that's, so, that's such a good point that you make. Um, if we don't figure out why they are in that current situation, then it doesn't matter how good our dentistry, it doesn't, doesn't matter how good your composite bonding is, it doesn't matter how good your rubber dam is, um, that's going to chip again because they've been able to chip their enamel. You know, they're going to chip your, your restorations afterwards as well. And I think that sort of goes both ways as well. You know, when you look at, you know, orthodontics really was sort of, I guess, the birthplace of aesthetics. You know, when you look at um, orthodontics in adolescents and teenagers, like mm-hmm. good occlusion usually means good aesthetics. Like when you have like good healthy teeth, good gums, no missing teeth, no pathological tooth wear, you give them an ideal occlusion, put everything that fits together in a, in a, in a good way, and that case looks really aesthetic. They have a really nice smile as a result of it. And that's where I think it's a little bit different when you look at adults. And I think that's where working with your orthodontist closely as well is really, really important because often your orthodontist will see adult patients as well who want orthodontic alignment. So the, the counter um, the counter situation and the truth is the orthodontist can give them a really great occlusion, put everything in the right spot there, but because they've got missing teeth or they've got pathological tooth wear or gingival recession, as a general dentist, you're just as important in that equation for that patient achieving aesthetics. You know, an ideal occlusion is ne- not necessarily going to mean ideal aesthetics for that patient. So we need to be able to identify some of the key parameters that make something aesthetic. So we talk about dentofacial aesthetics as a whole. You know, how do the teeth fit in the face? We're looking at like the dental midlines, the facial midlines, the smile arc, uh, incisal embrasure progression, gingival embrasures, contact points. There are so many parameters that we look at and we kind of look at how do all these things go together? Which one of those parameters can be addressed with, say, alignment alone? Yeah. Which parameters will facilitate better restorations afterwards? Which parameters need restorations and alignment doesn't matter? And then you try and figure out, you know, you figure out where you're going. You got to figure out the best way to get to that point. What different clinical uh, clinical procedures required to achieve that end result. Yeah, and I think that's where I found using aspects of digital dentistry really helpful is because 
as a newer graduate and I haven't seen a lot of things. So to try and pick up what might happen if I cut this tooth in this way, you know, I, I don't quite know. Whereas I think when you can visualize the difference between moving a tooth in a certain position and actually see things outside of the mouth, it makes it a lot, a lot easier to then diagnose and treatment plan after. I agree completely. And I think this whole like we, we always talk about sort of co-discovery and co-diagnosis with patients, you know, where mm-hmm. they're looking at images and scans with us to sort of build value in, in what we're talking about. And I guess often when I'm doing that, when I'm looking at a patient's scan or looking at their photographs and we're sort of unraveling some of the things that are wrong, I'm kind of learning about the case at the same time. Like I'm discovering things that are wrong with the case or things that could, you know, do with improvement. And I think that's where digital dentistry is so powerful. Yeah. You know, it's, it's taking the, it's, it's like doing a test drive without having to do anything in the patient's mouth. And there are so many additive techniques that we can utilize. And when we start moving teeth digitally, for example, when we're talking about pre-restorative alignment, we can plan our spaces far effectively when we have, far more effectively when we have undersized teeth, for example, we're managing a peg lateral. We can figure out the best place to put that peg lateral based on its shape. Yeah. You know, we can do a wax up before we've even commenced in treatment based on the projected final alignment. And it's so powerful when you kind of look at that and go, okay, well, yeah, the teeth are straight, but maybe there's more to this. You know, the, yeah, there's a Bolton's discrepancy here and we're going to end up with, you know, missized teeth as, as a result of us just aligning it. Do we look at restorative treatments at the same time? And often, you know, you'll go back to this digital planning over and over and over again. You know, when we look at complex cases, they don't get nailed from the very beginning. Like you go through your diagnosis and you, figure out through your digital planning, your 3D scans, what it is that you're trying to achieve. Then you go through a phase where you have then, you know, a wax up or a digitally printed wax up, depending on your, your workflow. And then you do a mock-up and you try it in the mouth and see whether that looks right. And then even after you've done that, then say you're prepping the teeth, you prep them, you put provisionals on it, and you reassess again. You look at all those parameters again and go, have I addressed everything? Yeah. So it's this continual discovery, and these tools are essential for the modern aesthetic dentist. And I think, you know, even if you're not doing digital scans or um, anything, you really need to be taking photographs of all your cases. And even if you're not doing your own alignment, you need to be able to at least diagnose where it's beneficial for the patient to have pre-restorative alignment. I don't think it's justifiable cutting a tooth down just to put it or make it look like it's an alignment. You know, instant orthodontics with veneers, I don't, I don't think is justifiable ever. I don't think the patient can consent to that either. It's, it's not the right thing to do for your patient. You know, even though they say yes to it, you're not doing the right thing. And even if you can't do it, refer to someone who can, or at least get them to see someone who can, you know, work closely with your specialist orthodontists and tell them what your restorative plan is, you know, talk about the ideal tooth forms you're trying to achieve and why you want them to realign the teeth. You know, sometimes if you don't communicate that effectively and they've got like peg laterals, for example, and they come back with all the spaces closed or say they've got a missing lateral and then, you know, you wanted to, you know, restore that lateral with an implant or a bridge or, um, something else, and then they've just closed that space there. Mm-hmm. That's on you as a restorative dentist that you fail to diagnose and coordinate everyone in the team as well. And I think that's really exciting. I think that's the cool part about being the general dentist. Like you're the the doorway for a lot of these patients to come in and, and ask for this stuff, and then you get to coordinate things. And that sort of 
team group approach to these cases is just so much fun when there's so many people involved. Like you kind of share the glory together and the patient goes on this journey once they bought into it. And I love that. Like I love this whole like, yeah. you know, even if I'm not doing the alignment, patient sees me, then I do my digital design, they see the orthodontist, they come and see me before their D-band, I make sure everything's in the right spot. They get their D-band done, I do the restorations, they go back for their retainers, they come back and see me for their restorative maintenance. And there's just so many people involved in this whole plan. But because we orchestrated it appropriately it all goes to plan and the patient gets their outcome which is really cool so yeah I think it's it's probably the most important thing for the modern aesthetic dentist is to know the place of pre-restorative orthodontics or pre-restorative alignment in the overall treatment plan and to be able to communicate that to your patients to help your adult patients understand why it is that they can't have their new teeth in two weeks why it's going to take three months six months nine months before their ideal yeah ideal smile because yeah i guess it works kind of both ways you've got pre-restorative alignment but then you've also got to think about the restorative side of things before you send them off to the orthodontist probably the other thing is probably just not writing off patients based on age as well i think we're often as young dentists we kind of think anyone older than us is like hadn't had their heyday and like they don't they're not going to commit to doing stuff that you know, maybe we would. So I think not writing off your older patients and not offering alignment just because you think they're too old, yeah. um, I think that's something to be really weary of as well. Like you need to present that as an option and they may just turn around and go, hey, look, I don't care. I'm too old. I don't really want to do this. I'm not interested in doing it, which is fine, but you've offered it. Yeah. And a lot of my adult patients will go through alignment. You know, we have patients in their 60s and 70s doing alignment because they want to get better outcomes, which is fine. Like it's it's part of the process. So I think not prejudging your patients and not offering alignment because of your own preconceived notions is really, really important. Like it's such a big part of part of aesthetic dentistry. And often, you know, I see so many young patients with you know, maybe one rotated tooth and, you know, maybe slight discoloration and they come in and they want veneers. That's all they want. And they don't understand that maybe just derotating that one tooth, if that is honestly what it takes between them spending you know, thousands of dollars having veneers done and me destroying their teeth, mm-hmm. if it means that we could do alignment for six or seven months to just derotate that one tooth and whiten their teeth there, they're going to be far better off you know, long term. And I think we need to be very realistic with our patients when we talk about longevity of those restorations as well you know with aligners and orthodontics yes there's maintenance there's retention and there's a risk of relapse and and you know obviously other risks associated with it but when you do indirect dentistry you know nothing lasts forever you know every you do veneers on a 20 year old you know you're going to redo those veneers statistically probably three or four times in that patient's lifetime what's the financial cost of them repeating that intervention for the rest of their life and uh, i think that's i think that's such a big part of it we need to be very very honest with our patients about the treatments i think we're we can't just get carried away and offer a quick fix or yeah. do something just for the sake of us wanting to do it you know getting excited by that patient who wants been here sometimes a long road is definitely the better way of approaching things you know put yourself in the patient's shoes what would you want Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. 
And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.